probably, in my opinion, will become a better player than Julie Ertz. But if we don't give her these chances now and, and accept that we're going to have some growing pains, then we're going to lose a great player. If you were the captain of the Canadian national team, how would you handle the strike? I would say, let's go to court. That was the difference in just pushing the whole midfield up, getting players to play a little bit higher up the field, be more dangerous against Japan instead of sitting back. For me as a player, this is the best time of year. All right, all right, all right. Welcome into episode one of Straight From The Pitch. I'm one of the hosts, Anna Witte, joined as always by my co-host, Scotty Schweitzer. Scotty, MLS starts this week, but before we get into the men's side of the game, let's start with the women's. Last week, the U.S. Women's National Team played in the She Believes Cup. A lot of NWSL players, obviously, on that roster. Sunday, they beat Japan 1-0. The Thursday before, they beat Canada 2-0. The biggest question mark for this national team really is the midfield because up top, they have Alex Morgan, Mallory Swanson, but centrally, they have Rose Laville, Lindsay Horan. That sixth role is something we've discussed a lot. How would you solve the midfield if you were Vlatko Andonovsky? For me, I think our biggest question for the women's national team is how can we replace Julie Ertz? I think she was the engine. She was the cog. She made us go. Um, she might have not gotten all the goals, although she did score some critical goals for us. But I think replacing her is the key. And what I've been watching lately is we are not letting Sam Coffey have her chance. And I, I think she's the one. I think she's the one. She's going to go through some growing pains. Yes, she's a young player. But that girl, you watched it when she was with Portland. She is about helping the team win. And and that is what Julie Ertz brought you. And Julie Ertz started as a center back for us, and then we realized her strengths and her talents, and we moved her up into that sixth role. I think Sam Coffey, along those lines, and probably, in my opinion, will become a better player than Julie Ertz. But if we don't give her these chances now and, and accept that we're going to have some growing pains, then we're going to lose a great player and lose time with this player. So I think the, the, the change has to be made. I think Sullivan's a good player. But I don't think she can do what what Coffee can do all on that pitch, especially with those players you just named. The other night with uh, against Japan, we really miss Rose Lavelle. She finds little gaps of space where we can break the lines. Sanchez was playing her role, but she was looking to just go direct and go forward. Where Rose will come back, get the ball, and turn, and then run at him. Uh, I thought Haran was phenomenal, and I like her in that eight role. Uh, where she can do a little bit of everything and kind of just float on the field and find spaces so she can go deep. She can stay lying high. I thought she was by far the best player on the field. She has a very old school French game, I thought. A Laurent Blanc, maybe uh, a little bit of Zidane and Vieira mixed together, I, I thought. But I think you bring in Coffee. She is willing to do the dirty work. She doesn't care if she gets the accolades. All she wants to do is win. And she will allow those two players in that midfield to be dynamic for us. It seems like Ananoski is trying to fit Korniak into a role where he could just move Coffee in. And just to give a little context behind Coffee, she played at Penn State. This past season was her rookie season. In the NWL, she helped the Portland Thorns win the championship this past year. She had 18 starts, she had a goal, she had an assist. I mean, you hit, you know, the nail on the head. Coffee is very selfless. And she's really good defensively. She's really good at distributing the ball. She gets forward well. And I think with adding Rose Lavelle into that as well, she drops off as well. And Lindsay Horan, like you added. I just don't understand why they're not bringing coffee in. And I think that's the biggest question 
exactly around this national team and how that will work. I know coffee was in the pool against New Zealand when they went to New Zealand back in January, but why would they not bring her in for she believes that's, you know, a really yeah, yeah, good I, question. I totally agree. Yeah, I, you know, we're not in the day-to-day -day trainings in the locker room right. stuff like that. So we don't see that part of it, but she just helped Portland win a national uh, championship. She, she just did that. So right. we know she's a proven winner. She's a, she's a proven winner at Penn state. She's a Jersey girl. She, you know, she's coming out of that match fit Academy, which is producing phenomenal players. And I think that player, we need a better player in that six role because you can see it right now. And I'm a big fan of Alana cook, but she is struggling right now because she does not have confidence with the players around her. She's almost playing too deep lying, which allowed Japan to really just pick us apart right in front of our back line. We were lucky that they didn't really get any, get any real good scoring chances, but there was no one there to break up that play. I thought Mewis did pretty good, but he she's did. definitely not a six. She's not a six. I thought no, she was going to be way worse in that role. Um, she did her job, but she is more of um, a, a 10 that really can win balls back for us and win them up the field. I, I don't think she's a starter for this team, but I do think she's a good player and she brings a different type of element that we might need if we're down one or if we're winning by one, can we keep them further away from our goal? And here is a, a, a midfielder who is actually likes to press as a 10. And I, I think that's important. Let, let, uh, in the Japan game, I thought Alex Morgan was looking for breakaways too much. I thought Swanson was really the only player that looked dangerous the entire time she was in the game. Williams is dangerous just on pure speed alone, but Understanding the the movements of the and the flow of the game, I thought she she struggled with a little bit. I thought going into that game, we should have known. Listen, Japan plays a certain way; they're real tight in their formations. They like to play a ticky tack kind of style, like a Spain, and they 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 control the tempo of the first half. If we are not so athletically gifted, we are going into halftime tied, thinking, "Wow, they've got us." But you know, one little slip up, one little break, Swanson gets on the end of it. Good God, she's on fire right now. And she, she puts the ball in the back of the net. And when, once she took off, I'm watching the game and say, well, this is one nothing. She is that hot right now. And just the way that Swanson was able to control the ball as well as Morgan played that in. She took four or five touches before she finished it. I think what the U.S. has in their, I guess, in their arsenal that maybe other countries don't have is they're really good at the transition game. They're speedier. But Vlako Ananoski made an uh, adjustment in the second half. He went to a 4-2-3-1 instead of a 4-5-1. And I think that was the difference in just pushing the whole midfield up, getting players to play a little bit higher up the field, be more dangerous against Japan instead of sitting back and allowing Japan to set the tempo and, and dictate the game. 100%. It took those little gaps away that Japan was – I mean, just really destroying us within the first half. They were getting it wide and mostly on Huerta's side and then coming into the middle from there. But when you put that two, it gave Mewis a lot less to do. She can kind of almost play one half of the field and then the other midfielder kind of playing off her shoulder, which allowed us to then intercept balls and then and then and we were going in now up one, which gives us confidence. And when we get a little bit of confidence on that field, that team, they, they do know how to put the, the foot to uh, – put the foot to your, your throat basically and, and finish the game off. Uh, I will say this, and I know she's injured. I would like to see when Sophie Smith is not injured. I'd like her play the nine. I'd like to see her play the nine. And I think that's one of the problems we have is Morgan's a goal scorer. She's a finisher. 
But sometimes Sophie Smith, if we get her out wide, she can become non-existent in the game if the team takes her away, if the other teams try to take her away. When she's the nine, I think, you know, she plays there a lot for Portland. She's very dangerous. She can intermingle with Lavelle, who can slide up higher. I think it gives us a little bit more of a dynamic of playing through them. Morgan plays a little bit like Holland does at Man City, finishes the goal. But we don't really see a lot of touches. I know she got the assist, but in the first half, she was very frustrated with her touches on the ball. She wasn't getting much of anything in the first half. So if you move Smith into the nine, where does Morgan go where she's effective to you? That, that's the hard thing about being a pro, and all pros have to go through it. There comes a time where maybe somebody else helps the team. It doesn't mean you've gotten worse. Certain teams just need certain links, uh, the, the connectiveness to it, the, the, the chemistry of it. I just think with this team, the way we play, and yesterday being with some injuries, and I know we're, we're holding Lavelle out, she's probably going to play in the, in the next game. Um, but Morgan and Sanchez basically are the same player. They're looking for straight line running through. So they were almost running into each other's passing lanes. Whereas Lavelle comes back, she'll slide, you play off of her, and there's, there's movement around her. Morgan yesterday and Sanchez, who I also very much like, but they were running straight line runs, which was right into Japan's game plan. It was perfect for them. Um, so maybe does it, we have to look at the other team. Andrew has to look at the other team. They're going to play like this. Okay, today's your day. And you could put Sophie Smith on the outside maybe for this game because we need a nine like this. And, okay, we're going to play. I don't think they can stop Sophie. She can play on the outside. But certain games, like last night, I thought if we had Sophie Smith as the nine, she would have been able to intermingle back into the midfield, which then allows Sanchez to come through. And now you're getting dis disorganized in the back. Does that center back step with Smith? Or does she hold and wait for Sanchez? Does that midfielder slide and pick up? So I think we could have done more of that, whereas last night it was straight runs through, just straight runs through. And if Haran didn't get on the ball, we really didn't have much of playmaking through the midfield, I didn't think. I agree. Haran is a huge piece of the attack. So you're basically saying that the U.S. can't be so predictable, but they also have a lot of players on the field, on the roster that they can work with in the attack. It's just kind of figuring out that defensive midfield piece. And then we kind of touched on the defense. You've said that you think the U.S. can play in a three back with Sauerbronn in the midfield. Maybe you're not a fan of Huerta. Do you see Crystal Dunn there? If you play three back as a national team, who should be the three? So if I think it really comes down to Davidson. If she can be healthy, I think she's the key. And I would play her the central part of it. I will put Sauerbrahm a little bit to the left because it seems like Alana Cook likes to play more on the right. Then I would take Fox and Dunn. Now, because of that, based on how the game is played out, Fox even did it a little bit last night. They can pinch centrally. And they can help the six out, which then would push, in my opinion, coffee higher up, which now gives Haran even more freedom to be the playmaker. Haran reminds me a little bit of, and he's an older player, and I don't know if many players would know this, Juan Raquelme that played at Argentina. Just real clean on the ball, could really see the game. One of Messi's idols and just a real clean midfielder. He scored free kicks, he scored goals, but it was his playmaking ability that made him so special. Now, if we're being pressed a little bit and the other team would maybe a Spain, um, I don't think Japan would really do it in that formation against us. Maybe England, maybe France. We could drop 
Fox back. We could drop and then maybe slide Alana Cook in and press her high, almost like an old stopper. So we could go forward in the back with a 4-1-3 uh, up in front kind of a thing like that. I think some of the abilities that we have as players, we need to exploit them. We need to use them. We need to show them. Because I, I, the first time I saw Cook play, I was like, man, this girl could be a six. The more I watch her, the more you understand is like she needs pieces around her to be that type of player. But I think we have them. We just have to be willing to take that risk. And that's a hard thing for a coach, especially when you take over a team that's been so successful playing a certain way. Um, we saw it a little bit last year in the NWSL when the Courage tried to continue playing what they call the box, which I would have to a little bit say not so much. But until they changed out of that successful formation, you're a new coach. You have new ideas. You're going to play different players. There's going to be different pieces. They came out of it, and they went on a run at the end of the season where, man, if they were doing that early, they could have got their rhythm earlier, won more games, maybe went into these playoffs with a, a real nice chance of making a nice run at it. Um, but I think what we have is there's going to be some hurt feelings. That's part of the job. That's part of the job as a coach. You're going to have to get rid of players that I think Sana and Huerta last night in that Japan game proved that they're good players. They don't fit this this team. They, they don't fit with this team. I, I personally do not think so. I think they're good players. I think they're good in the NWSL. They're good for their teams. This player, this team needs to press, needs to push, and needs to control the tempo of the game. And in the first half, Japan controlled it. And I don't think that's acceptable with these type of players we have. Press and push is huge, I think, for the U.S. Women's National Team. And we have so much time before the World Cup starts in July. So we'll definitely come back, touch on these topics. I do want to add one more thing about Kathy because after calling a lot of Portland games last year, Coach Rianne Wilkinson for the Thorns talked about how Kathy was a true 10 in college, and she always thought she was a 6. It took a long time for coffee to kind of get comfortable in that position, but she did a good job of transferring her into the 6. So hopefully... If it's our way, if we're the coach, it'll yes. it'll pay off for her to be on the national team in that role. Staying on the topic of women's soccer, we're going to move over to the Canadian national team because there's been a huge conversation around a strike. CNN reported that the Canadian women's national soccer team called off its strike and resumed training after the sports governing body Canada Soccer threatened legal action, players said on February 11th. On Twitter, the Players Association said that Canada soccer considered the strike unlawful and that players cannot afford the risk that personal action against us by Canada soccer will create. As they have received no compensation yet for any of our work for Canada soccer in 2022. So the Canadian national team has not been paid for the 17 games that they played in 2022. That to me alone is crazy. But Scotty, if you were the captain of the Canadian national team, how would you handle the strike after the governing body has threatened to take away your pay in 2022? I would say, let's go to court. I'm not stepping back on that field. And I think this is part of the problem in soccer right now. And it's, it's a problem that's been created by the national teams, by the federations, um, by that, that goes all the way up to FIFA. If you ask me, that goes all the way through. These players need to be paid. They weren't. That, that's criminal. That's criminal <laughs> in itself. So you're going to threaten criminal actions against us. Could you imagine you didn't get paid for us. your work in 22? Right. You're going to threaten criminal actions against us. Good. This is what we've been waiting for. Um, but if we, as a, as a team, as a group, as a family, says we're going to go on strike, there are going to be some sacrifices. 
The other thing is, why are we going on strike? Just for ourselves? I, I really hope not. I have a 14-year-old daughter. Uh, there's seven-year-old girls that are starting to play soccer that look up to these players. When you decide you want to go on strike and fight for something right, I hope you're fighting for future generations. And that is my – so I understand that you might not get back on the national team. You have to be – when you decide this is what we're going to do, this is what's right, then you have to fight. You, you have to sacrifice. So me as a captain, I'm saying I'm not playing. I'm, I, I'm not playing. And Sinclair, she's got a lot of clout. She has conducted herself as a true professional her entire career. You, she's got the most goals by any international, men or female, ever. It's, it's amazing. Like, somebody interview her. Get on a platform. You, you have that opportunity. Every NWSL time you get interviewed, <laughs> please, only talk about Canada. Only tell us. Tell us the truth about it. E explain it. Like, you can't be worried that you're going to hurt your career. You have to be in this game for the game, for, for the benefit of the game. And that's a part of my problem with some of these players now is they fight for themselves. Whereas if you need, to, you do need to fight for yourself, but this, this is for, I don't want these 15 year olds that when they become the Canadian national team, not to get paid for an entire year either. So this is, I'm fighting for the future. I'm fighting for next generations. When I was a player in indoor, the leagues transitioned over and it went to single entity, which means the league owns all the players. I am a big, I do not believe in single entity. It gives players no rights. So I called, I was at the, the prime of my career indoor playing. I was one of the higher paid players. I called all the highest paid players and said, we, we, not the young guys, we need to go on strike. We need to not do it. Every single one of them wouldn't do it. So I retired from indoor soccer. It, it just wasn't right. The, the people that have the clout, the big timers, they have to take the biggest sacrifice to help the younger generations, the players that aren't making as much money. It's the same thing when the MLS went on their strike a few years ago. The big players did their job and helped the younger players. The younger players are the ones that really benefited the most from it. Yes, okay, there's some free agency kind of rules here and there. The NWS has kind of free agency rules, I'll say on that. But these players need to stick up for each other and stick up for what's coming next. It's our job in the game to continually grow it. And that's, I think, one of the biggest problems in American soccer is we just want to be players. And, hey, I, I played in the MLS. I played here. It, it's got to be, man, when I sit back and I'm 70 years old, look at what I helped create. And I think the younger players have to go back. I remember a couple years ago, the national team was doing really good. And the older generation was, they had a little conflict with them because they were forgetting the past. It was the Mia Hams. It was the Kristen Lillies that gave Abby Wambach the Abby Wambachs, that give us the Hope Solos, that give us now the Rose Lavelles. Like, we have to know our past. And we, the past has to fight for the future. I agree with you. With the Christine Sinclair, she has a huge platform. She is not similar, I guess, when it comes to making money as some of the players who sit on the bench for the Canadian national team. So my theory is, and Christine Sinclair, for context, she is the captain of the Canadian national team. She could go to her team and ask, hey, if we don't get paid in 2022, how would that affect you and your family? Maybe take poll on how it would affect the entire team and then go from there. But if you're going to go on strike, I agree. You can't just show up and it's great to show up in the purple shirts and say enough is enough and have other people rally around you. All that is good. 
but Canada, the Federation is not going to take you seriously if you just kind of go back on your word because you're scared of the pay. And it's not like they're not getting paid for their club soccer. It's just the national team stuff. So Christine Sinclair being so good on the field, scoring so many goals, is that better to her in the long run when she's sitting at home as an old lady than seeing what she did to help the Canadian national team and the Federation further its game? That's an answer that she can only answer. But if I were in her shoes, I definitely would say, sit back and see how you better the game in Canada. Um, so yeah, definitely a topic that will be ongoing. I'm sure we'll see it play out as the World Cup gets a little bit closer this summer. Last NWSL topic to hit before we go over to MLS. Which NWSL player move was the most compelling this past offseason for you? Mm, well, I'm a huge Dabinia fan. I really am. I, I mean, I think right now, She's pretty much my favorite player to watch. She, the, what she can do in a game and how she can impact the game is incredible. I will have to say, though, I am really, really looking forward to see what Lynn Williams can do at Gotham. Um, I, I just like what Gotham's doing. I, I think, you know, it's a, it's a huge market. They're making some moves. She, I remember when she was here in Carolina. And Carolina was, you know, playing their box midfield <laughs> to mean he was part of it uh i really don't think it was a box i'm gonna stick with that my entire rest of my life it was more like a to being you playing high up on the left they had crystal dunn Mewis, and sullivan o'sullivan playing this kind of rotating triangle which come on crystal dunn with her athleticism pretty much could cover the entire midfield by herself but the key to it was lynn williams teams were so scared of her speed that their backs stayed so deep that it allowed the midfield so much time and space. And because of it, Zerboni got her first calls up with the national team. She had time. She had space. She's a super intelligent player, Zerboni, but she is not a physically gifted player as far as speed. She's quick in her little area. She's super intelligent. She reminds me of the, uh, the woman version of Pirlo back in the day, Andrea Pirlo from Italy. But now they're back matched up together. You have Lynn Williams. She's going to be up high. She's going to cause teams to play a different way. I think this is going to be really, really good for, for Gotham to, to, to make a run at it this year and to change their fortunes, basically. Gotham was at the bottom of the table all last season. So getting a get like Lynn Williams is huge. I like that. I didn't even think about that when I was putting this one together. Plus finding out that you're being traded while you're with the national team. <laughs> Wild. You gotta Wild. make you a little upset. And when certain, certain players, she seems like the player that, oh, you're just going to trade me? You know, she made a move last year to Kansas City. She did get hurt. It's, un, you know, that it's unfortunate. Injuries are unfortunate in the silly game that we play. It wasn't like she was sitting out, uh, resting herself, saving herself. And now she's had back healthy. Uh, she, she was dangerous at times against Japan. You know, she's coming back. Uh, I pulled the hamstring. I didn't have to have surgery on it. And I still haven't run my fast. It's just, it's a mental injury. So to see what she was doing, she played one of the best balls in the game, that whipping ball across that Morgan just couldn't get a piece of. Uh, I think she's going to make a, a quite of an impact in, in Gotham. I think off the field for Lynn Williams, too. She has this podcast with Sam Mewis and Snacks. She's into fashion. Being in the New York metropolitan area, I feel like there's a lot of potential for her there, too, as opposed to Kansas City. I, I totally agree. We shall see. Mine was Kara Caro. She went from North Carolina, where you are, to Angel City. She got the most start she ever has in her career. 
20 starts for Angel City last year. She had four goals and assist. She was good. I thought she played well. She wasn't insanely making the game a big difference. They had Savannah McCaskill. He was huge for that center midfield last year. But Kara Ricaro goes to Chicago for $65,000 in allocation money to Angel City. Chicago has lost Cola Prico to San Diego, DiBernardo to Kansas City, and Gatra to Kansas City. Who is Kira Ricaro going to play with in the midfield for the Chicago team? That is a huge question mark. I was looking at the roster. They brought in some younger players who we haven't seen at the professional level. They still have Sam Fisher, who played in the midfield a little bit. They had a girl uh, named Aguilera who came in a little bit last year. But those were wing players. So centrally, Kara Ricaro is not really an attacking player. She's more of a, a six, not really an eight, because I want to say she's box to box. How is Chicago going to adjust without DiBernardo and Cole Aprico, really? Those were the mainstays for them last season. So it'll be interesting. It will be. I'll tell you, right now, I think in the game of soccer, women's and men, the role you need to fill, and we touched on it earlier with the national team, is that six role. So if, if she does her job as the six, pieces can be put in around her, and she can elevate their game. When you know your six is doing its job, I, I, we just got to go to Chelsea this year. They were doing pretty good, looking real good. And then Conte gets hurt. The sixth role, Casemiro coming in for Man U. That team was okay. And then he comes. The sixth role in soccer right now is a real, real valuable position. And if you get the right player, you know, there's a lot of different types of players you can plug in around them. And that six just really helps them elevate their game. So I'm not saying Ricardo can't play that six. I'm not saying she won't be great this season because, I mean, we saw Swanson two years ago. She wasn't playing well. She missed the Olympics, and now she's just electric. Also, right. note Swanson is on the Chicago team, so that will help out Ricardo a bit. Swanson loves to drop back and help out defensively. So we'll see. I think NWSL will be really interesting with some of these moves they've made. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how coaches implement what their thoughts are on these players. Right. That's always important too. like, how did they use them? And they, we might not even see Ricaro in the midfield. That'd be weird if we didn't, but who knows? We've seen crazier yeah, right. things in this league. A few years ago, uh, Barcelona took Mascherano from Liverpool and everyone's like, well, he's not going to play in the midfield and Barcelona play him at a center back. And then they go on and win champions league. So you, certain players, just they're soccer players. Uh, I have a lot of young players that I coach and they always ask me who's the best player. And I have this weird way of thinking about it. If you could clone a player and you'd had 11 of them on the field, I know Messi's great and maybe the greatest to ever play. But I'll take, uh, let's see, I would take uh, a Kevin De Bruyne, 11 Kevin De Bruyne's against 11 Messi's. I think De Bruyne's going to win that game. So Why? I always think of it as just as a player, you know, you, he's more well-rounded. Messi's a great attacking player, but can he defend? So like when I think of a great player, it's usually – I'm picking players that are coming out of the midfield, like Luka Modric. Man, if you had 11 Luka Modric, you're going to really have a hard time losing a game. Uh, maybe if they shoot long because you're a short player and you got a small goalie. I don't. I, but I think we we lose the fact of there are certain – Coffee, I think she's a soccer player. We could stick her out left, left back, and she would do a great job for you. She she should be better. She Her best position is the six. Maybe in college at Penn State her best position was the ten. But that depends on what's around you, and then you have to do things. That's I personally think when I played, I was trying to be top five in every category. Maybe I'm not the best dribbler, but I'm top five. Maybe I'm not the best defender, but I'm top five. Maybe I'm not the best in the air, but I'm top five. 
If you keep getting that type of a player that's top five in every category, you've got the greatest player on the field. The best player on the field helps your team have a better chance at winning. You've been coaching for a long time now, and you've seen a lot of players obviously grow up because you, you coach at the youth level. At what point in a player's career do you feel like you can say, okay, this player's a six, this player's a 10, this player's a nine? I personally think it, you can kind of tell what type of player is, but it's really based on that player's mentality. So for me personally, growing up, I was a forward, leading scorer, but I'm a hothead. I'm from New Jersey and I like to tackle people. So I went to my coach and I said, can I play in the back, please? And he said, why would you want to go in the back? You're, you're scoring, you know, 24 goals a season at the youth level, 24 goals a season. And I said, yeah, but every time I get kicked by a defender, the referee says, next one, I'm going to have to card you. And then five more times, he's still saying that. My first tackle, I get a yellow card. I said, so can I please go into the back so I can tackle players and just get a warning? And this coach was Uruguayan. His name was Jorge de la Bandera. Great coach. He said, I'm going to move you to the back. I'm going to put you on the outside, but you have to keep your forward mentality. So I play the game out of the back, but I play it with an offensive mentality. I like to attack the game, attack the play. So I think like when you're finding a player, you get a soccer player based on their mentality. Where can they play? A few years ago, I think we tried Haran at the six and I thought it went really good. But every once in a while you say, oh, this is a player who likes to distribute, play, get forward, get a goal for us. So then we're, oh, gosh, we're a little dangerous. But that's her mentality. So we can't take that from her. That's why I think she's a real good eight because she does want to tackle. She doesn't want to get in the thick of it. She does want to help us win on both ends of the field. But her mentality at the end of the day is get us goals, win. She attacks the game. She's not playing not to lose. She's playing to win. And, And I think that's a big key to a player and a coach's relationship is you have to understand the player's mentality, not just their skill set. Mentality with the skill set, that goes a long way. Playing to win, not playing to tie or whatever. I think that's <laughs> the huge lose. thing yes. that Haran has. a huge problem in youth soccer, I feel. These coaches Why? at the youth level are – because they are, instead of trying to inspire and get these players to the next level, to the next platform – They're trying to get themselves to the next level, next platform. And they use their record as proof. And and that's a shame. Like, I'll lose every game if I'm producing national team players. Like, we're going to have to play certain ways. We're going to have to play ways that probably aren't good for us so these players can learn. We're going to have to not accept the loss, but say, okay, we're going to, and I'm just saying, Charlotte. And Charlotte plays kick and run. So we're going to counter that with this style of play. Even though it's not the best for our team, we want to see and learn how it affects us so we understand. So that you're not picking Florida State because they're ranked fifth in the nation. You're picking Florida State because it's where you're going to develop your game the best. And I think that's the other thing is players need to pick and choose based on development. So that at the end of the day, they become as good as they're supposed to become. Not, oh, look, I played in the MLS and I played one minute. Like play in a lower division, get that game time, get that playing time, understand it. The second division isn't a terrible league. It's a different league. It's a harder league physically. It's uh, tougher on you for travel. It's tougher. It also helps players when they do make an MLS. Man, they're so excited about, hey, we're not on a bus today. We actually flew. (laughs) 
you, you know, it lets you appreciate all the hard work that goes into becoming a great player. Switching over to MLS, though, because you just touched on it. We've got 14 matches coming up this weekend, opening weekend for the league. Scotty, what matchup interests you the most from Saturday to Sunday? I am super excited, Anna. I am super excited. Listen, the Super Bowl just passed. We saw a Super Bowl. We saw the ticker tape coming, everything going crazy. I'm going to Disneyland. For me, as a player, this is the best time of year. I, I mean, I am today dressed for this time of year. Number one. It is the 50th anniversary of hip hop rap. When I was a player, hip hop music. No, no, just this year. This is the oh, 50th okay. year. So they're celebrating. Hip hop is celebrating all year. It's the 50th anniversary. I controlled the radio in the locker rooms on the teams I played. And we listened to East Coast underground hip hop before the games. It was our mentality. We were going to go out there. By any means necessary, we we're going to win a game. But this time of year, holy moly, everybody thinks they're going to be a champion. Preseasons. If preseason wasn't fun, please let us know so we know not to pick you in the in the league. You're not going to win it. Preseason has to be hard. You got to go through the gruel. You got to fight with each other. You got to get all into it. You got to be tired. You got to fight through your pains because at the end of the day, we're fighting for the end goal, the championship, to be the best, to be the greatest, to own it. No one can ever take that away from you. So this time of year, the first weekend. Whoever wins, they're still on their high. You lose, you still got some hope, but it's so exciting. The games are all good, I think. But to start out the year with a derby, L.A. versus L.A., come on. They, that's the only game that matters for me this week. I cannot wait to see this. And I hope they wear those green smoke uniforms, LAFC, because those are nasty good. What's your score prediction for the game? Well, I'm not a Galaxy fan. Uh, I never have been. I, I think they're good. I really do like the way LAFC plays. I, I think they Vela is definitely the key to the team. They play his style of play. They let him, you know, the way he can play, the way he moves. And when he's happy, he's an unbelievable player. He is phenomenal. Uh, my prediction, I think it's going to be close just because it is a derby. It's also the beginning of the season. So I think there's going to be some, there's going to be some mistakes that are made. I think 3-2 LAFC. I also would love to see what's going to happen with these supporter groups that are wanting some of the big boys out of LA Galaxy. So that'll be interesting too, because I know they're they're looking to boycott. I, I would like to see how that plays out too. Yeah, no, that'll be interesting. That's a good one. Three, two, five goals in an opening weekend game. I like it. I Why not? I'm excited. I'm hoping for goals this year. <laughs> yes, I agree. Okay, I'm going to take it down south. All right, all right, all right. I say Austin FC versus St. Louis on Saturday. Austin finished second in the West last year. Their third season is this year. They went from scoring 35 goals in 2021 to 65 goals this past season. I've seen where people are kind of questioning because they lost their center defender who they felt like made a huge difference on that team last year. But they have Sebastian Druasi, who is back. He had 22 goals last year. He signed through 2025. This is the first season for St. Louis FC. I think for them, it's going to be, you know, the first time they're playing together as a group in a crowded stadium. That's not their own home stadium. Also, I hope we see a Matthew McConaughey sighting. That's why I started off with all right. Yes, yeah. Wasn't really good, but I tried. <laughs> it was good. It was good. Thank you. What was that? Dazed and Confused, right? That was the movie was where he Dazed started it off. Great movie. Great movie. I'll tell you, the, when Dazed and Confused came out, I was in L.A., really Mission Viejo, playing with the national team. Uh, before the 94 World Cup, that was that's where the home base was. And I was there and we were 
went to a trip. We were driving from Mission Viejo to L.A. and we were listening to all those guys talk on the radio about the, the movie and everything. Uh, I enjoyed my time out in California at that time. Mission Viejo was real nice. Yeah, no, that's funny. I, I, my favorite McConaughey movie, I think, is How to Lose a Guy in 10 Ga- Days or Dallas Buyers Club. I thought, I mean, obviously he did a phenomenal job. Those are yeah, two very good That's great. Good my daughter just had her 14th birthday and that's the movie they picked. No she way. Dallas? girls over. No, no. Um, to oh, have, How to Lose a Guy uh, in 10 Days. Guy in 10 Days. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. a good one. Big movie that's night. Like- 14, 14 year olds in my house going crazy. I, I didn't know it was that loud. I thought I was in a full stadium. It was it was maniacs. I am interested in that St. Louis game too. And yeah. what I hope St. Louis does, which I really think is a big component of soccer, is you have to play based also, not just on the players you have and your coaching staff, but there is a huge, huge soccer history in St. Louis. It, like the Pittsburgh Steelers, your team. That is a hardworking, tough town. And that is what Pittsburgh always brings to the field. That, that's why he's never had a losing record because those players take the identity of that city. St. Louis, your old school soccer, you, you were once considered the home of soccer for America. Like you need to understand that as players, there, there is a legacy that you are playing for and about. And, and I think that players need to understand that. I was just, my mom's a little sick. So I was in Louisville and I think that could be part of Louisville's problem. That's another hard little town. Like you can't go on that field and think, oh, we're, you know, we're racing. We'll do it. No, you got to go out there and you got to basically fight for those people, those hardworking people. You take the identity of the city you play in. And I think that's a huge component in soccer. And I learned that quite early in my career when I left school and went and played at um, actually at NC State. I learned it. We were NC State at the time was everybody, everybody passed over. So we were the underdogs. And we played my four years like we were the underdogs, even though my sophomore year, we're considered the greatest NCAA men's team ever put together. And they called us the running rebels of men's soccer. But it didn't matter. It didn't matter. We always thought we were the underdogs. We always remembered everybody passing us, the Indianas, the Virginias, the Clemsons at the time. Everybody bypassed us. We went to NC State. We found the guy who loved us. Tarantini let us play. Through our mentality, it's really where I learned to become the player I think I was. I had all these different talents and skills, but he said, this is who you are. Go be it. And he let us all be ourselves. And I think that's a huge part. So I'm, I'm interested to see this St. Louis team because there's a lot of rich soccer tradition coming out of St. Louis. And those players need to know that and they need to play for that. St. Louis is a great sports town, too, just in general. When they lost the Rams to L.A., my uh, second cousin is the biggest sports fan in America, I swear. And she (laughs) just, like, still won't let that go. So I know she has season tickets to the St. Louis FC, too. I'm interested to see kind of from her side and from a fan perspective. I'll definitely bring that to the show, how St. Louis kind of rallies around this team. Last question when it comes to MLS, last topic. Kit reveal was last week. Scotty, what kit were you into? What would you buy? I already gave it. I already let it slip out. Sorry. But I was really, I'm really into that, that smoke. Now I will say this. The green at LAFC. The green green smoke at LAFC that, and I hope they, they wear it more often than not, to be honest, because I, I'm a a big fan of uniforms. I, I think uniforms are sweet. And I, like I said, I am a Nike guy. 
I am a Nike guy. Don't be fooled by today's outfit. I'll get into that in a little bit. But I think the Adidas kits are better fitting. Even, even overseas, everywhere, I think the Adidas kit is a better kit. So I, I like it that the MLS is Adidas. I like the uniforms. I will say this. I'm a big, big fan of black and pink. So I didn't mind Miami's either. Um, I can't remember now. Why can I not remember? There is a team, shoot, that has a cherry blossom on their uniform, which I thought was really nice too. Would it be DC United? That would make sense. It could be DC United, but it, it's pretty, um, it's pretty legit. Portland went with their old, old when they first started up playing back in the NAS, NASL days. Um, but yeah, I like that green smoke a lot, a real yeah, lot. But I, I do love Miami. I, I uh, when Miami came into the league, I like it that David Beckham is running the show. He's been through Europe. He knows about soccer. Now we have Phil Neville, which I also think is great. We have Phil Neville and Casey Stone, which is awesome. These English, we as MLS and WSL, we want our, we want our leagues to be considered the best. So we're bringing in better players, better coaches. Well, they have to be ready for these coaches to speak out because on the NWSL side, Casey Stone was not happy about these players being called into the She Believes Cup during preseason, ruining her preparations for an upcoming season. And Phil Neville is not happy that the MLS does not have a clear-cut design of their playoff format. And I, I think that's good. That's what we need. We need criticism, and then we need to be able to take it to, to enable ourselves to grow. And I think that's part of the problem sometimes when we watch some of these games and these commentators. Uh, Taylor Twellman, I think, does a good job, but sometimes he's too nice. When I watch a game overseas, if it's a mistake, man, they let, they let us know. And then these players have to listen to that. And then they, they're all on social media. That kind of makes us go. You don't want to be criticized? Play better. Play better. We have the talent here. We cannot be letting our players, oh, well, we did good. You know, we lost the Netherlands. We, we should make it out of the first round in the World Cup, man. We should have made it. That was an easy group for us. Like, we need to say we need to be better. We need to beat Holland. We need to do a better showing than that, that game. Like, yeah, that's nice that we made it out. But we're Americans. We want to win. We want to be the best. We don't want uh, good enough is not good enough. We, we need to, we need to, if it's not good enough, we need to say it as commentators. We need to speak the truth. It, I didn't like to be criticized as a player, but I also didn't want to be sugarcoated and lied to. If I played bad, tell me I played bad and tell me what I need to work on. And then if I'm not willing to work on it, sit me on the bench. That's fine. That's, that is part of the business. It's like we see it in different leagues here in the States as well. NFL gets a ton of criticism. NBA will get a ton of criticism. We need to allow that in NWSL and MLS to allow these leagues to continue to grow because people see that. They want to make those adjustments. They want to be the best. Becoming the best doesn't come without mistakes and things that <laughs> like right. don't go well, right? I mean, the best in the world make mistakes as they get there. So if, if you want to be the best, you got to be willing to go the long haul. It's a marathon, not a sprint. And I think that's, right. that's kind of the genesis of this show too, right? We want to be candid about what's happening in soccer in America. We don't want to just, you know, give a little golf clap every time we think right, right. things I, I totally are going agree. just fine. So that's I where totally we start agree. today. My favorite jersey reveal, if you follow us on Instagram, at SFTPpod, we talked about it a little bit last week, but Charlotte FC revealed their jerseys and it reminded one of our followers of the Wild Berry Pop-Tart. And then Charlotte yes. FC went on to kind of make 
fun of it and put out a little like pop tart with the jersey on it. So I tweeted at him like, you know, pop tarts, we got to make this happen. Yes. I was going to bring pop tarts to the show. I forgot to go to the store before this, but that's my favorite. I love pop tarts. Reminds me of my childhood eating that crap in the morning, you know, a hearty early 2000s breakfast. And, you know, I'm from the Carolinas. So let's go, Charlotte. All right. That's yeah, awesome. that's my fave. Oh, last okay. Thing. So last week you yeah. asked, uh, you, we were talking about um, what inspired you. You were inspired by Abby Wambach, uh, not Abby Wambach, Abby Dahlkemper, and you had your gazelles. So yeah. this week I, I thought about it, what, what inspires me. And I'm pretty much inspired by life, whatever goes on and what's happening in my life. So like I said, hip hop, um, I'm a huge hip hop. I'm a huge music fan, but hip hop's probably my one, number one genre. Um, my mom's sick, so I went to see her and, and she's, she's a warrior. She's an animal. I love her. So she's inspired me. But also, Anna, you inspired me. Who you were as a player, you wanted to go to Penn State. You were taking no for an answer. You weren't going to take no for an answer. You got there. You won a national championship. So because you wore Adidas last week, I thought I'd bring out some Adidas this week. So also for me, I do not cross brands. So if I'm wearing Adidas, I'm wearing Adidas. Adidas hat, Adidas shirt, everything on NC State beat Chapel Hill last week. Sorry, Chapel Hill. I think that might end your NCAA chances. It was beautiful. But I went with... Not gazelles, but I got some sweet pink campuses on. Oh, my which gosh. Really inspired back in the day by the Beastie Boys. I'm a huge Beastie Boy fan. I think what they've done for the, the music industry and the genre of all music, uh, incredible. So I went with some pink campuses because they remind me of gazelles. They're just a little bit more hip hoppy to me, not as, not as form fitting. So I just want you to know that you were part of my inspiration last week. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I love the pink. It kind of goes on. You're staying on brand, right? You said you love Inner Miami. Love, it keeps yeah. you on brand. What's the canvas? Is it just like a? That's just theater? the name of the, the the campus. That's just the name oh, of the canvas. shoe. Like so, you got the Adidas Gazelle. You got mm. Adidas Campus. That was just a, a big shoe, and the Beastie Boys, you know, wore them a lot. A lot of rappers wore them at the time. They're like kind of like the Puma Clydes, but they yep. were Adidas's version. I like it. That's good. Unfortunately, and I don't wear I don't... Adidas often. I don't wear Adidas yeah. often, but if I go to a state game, I always wear Adidas. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, at least you stay loyal to the brand. You don't make it. Yes, that's right. I do not cross brand ever, ever. Not if I'm wearing Nike shoes, I, I have Nike socks on. I, I will not cross brand unless I'm on playing on a team and they're Adidas and I'm a, got my Nike deal. Then I got to wear my Nike shoes uh, and try to figure it out. Like get a little Sharpie and, and cross out the check mark. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Okay, my fun thing was this past weekend, I was watching College Hoops. Maryland was playing Nebraska. It was OT. It was at Nebraska, and it was hype. I mean, the fans were getting into it. It was super loud in the arena. Nebraska ended up winning it. But in my head, I was thinking, what if we had OT in soccer in, in the regular season, right? Instead of just ending in a tie, we move the goal in. And we play 5v5. And we used to do that in college. And that used to be my absolute, like, it was so fun. And, you know, we could do line changes like they do in hockey. You just hop on when you feel like it's your best opportunity to score a goal. And we play for 10 minutes. And whoever has the most goals wins. I mean, fans would love that. Just the quick goal. American fans would love that, right? Oh, love it. And I, listen, I'm old. So I was back in the day of soccer when I'm so old. When I was playing soccer in the beginning, shin guards were not a rule which was awesome because I don't like shin guards. Number two is we did go to overtime and we had the golden goal, which caused complete chaos on the field, which was right up my alley. I, I mean, it was attack, 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 and get a goal. I mean, 
let me tell you, you know what kind of teammate you have if after a game you've tied and they're okay with it in the locker room. Like, I didn't want to end up practicing a tie. Like, I used to get into arguments with coaches if they were like, okay, well, that's, you know, it's hot out. We got a big game this weekend. Let's not get anybody injuries. And I was like, coach, we're tied. We can't end in a tie. Like, I, I, I agree. I understand the point system. I understand how it works out. If we didn't do this, if it wasn't a tie, the players would be like, well, we need to make more money because it would be all crazy like that. But I'm with you. I do not like ties. I don't want ties. I'd rather PKs. I'm also so old. I also play when we did the shootout instead of PKs. 35 yards out. Mm. Now that bring that back. I enjoyed that. PKs might be more practical because there's not the contact. So people aren't (laughs) more likely to get injured, but I know, I think it would be so fun. Even if it was every once in a while, we got to see it. They threw it in and whatever. We watched the world cup. Come on. We were cheering for PKs. I was like, come on, tie it up, tie it up. So we go to PKs. Well, Scotty, this was so fun. I'm so glad we got to chat before MLS actually kicks off this weekend. As always, if you guys enjoyed the episode, make sure you share it with a friend. Follow us on YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter at SFTPod. And we'll see you back here next Wednesday. Have a great week.